Good morning. Uh, do me a favor. If you, if you serve in any way on Sunday mornings here at Park Church, whether that's musically, in the media booth, welcome table, food and beverage, greeters, I'm missing probably 10 other things, teaching, like if you serve in any way regularly, can you just raise your hand? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. This isn't normal. Uh, to have this, this high of a percentage of people in a church family being hands-on and serving in practical ways. Uh, and so I want to begin just by saying thank you to everyone that serves. Um, being the church involves uh, more than just what we do on Sunday mornings, but it, it doesn't involve less. What we do when we gather here when we worship corporately in response to the good news of God's grace in Jesus, like, that matters. This is important. And, and we would not be able to do what we do if it wasn't for the many of you who come here and serve. So I want to get, begin this morning just by saying thank you. Uh, speaking of gratitude, uh, this last week I took my two kids to Costco. Not, not an uncommon thing for us to do. Uh, and as, as we walked past the costume section, if, you, if you've been there, my, uh, my four-year-old daughter, Esther, could not help but notice the sparkly unicorn costume. It was not the first time she has seen this costume before. And she, of course, wanted it. Well, uh, they happened to not have her size, uh, which was a handy excuse on, on my part. Uh, and so we, we didn't get the unicorn costume, but she didn't quite understand why she couldn't get it. It, it didn't compute to her. Um, and she was, let's just say, disappointed that we didn't get the, uh, the unicorn costume. And, and she decided to share that disappointment with the rest of the store. Um, you see where I'm going. Uh, now, in that moment, in that moment when she decided to let the whole store know how, uh, how let down she was, uh, I, I was ambivalent. I had a mixture of emotions. I, on the one hand, was frustrated and annoyed and humiliated uh, and wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible. Um, but there was a small part of me that was grateful. And, and here's why, because about a year ago, when we found ourselves in a store like Costco and had an experience like this, what she would say, this, this isn't a new experience for us, it's something we're working on. What she would say out loud over and over again is, I need this. Whatever that thing was, she would say, I need this. Last week, what came out of her mouth over and over and over again was not I need this, but I want this. And that's because for the past year, we have been working on the differences between needs and wants. And it all started in the grocery store last year when, when she would begin to say, I need this, I need this. And I, I began to talk to her about the, what, what's the difference between need and want. You actually don't need this, sweetheart. You want this. And, and while her learning this difference did not stop the tantrum in Costco. What came out of her mouth this week was, I want this. 
And so there was a small, albeit small, but very small bit of me that was grateful, right? It's the small victories in life that, that get you through the day. Uh, my daughter is learning the difference between needs and wants. And this is something good and natural for kids to learn. And, and if we're honest, I, can, can we just admit that this is something that not just children learn, but that we as adults continually learn as we grow? There is a difference between what we need and what we want. As we continue our study this morning through the Lord's Prayer, Jesus, Jesus invites us to come before God with our needs. And, and he identifies two types of needs in these two petitions we're going to look at this morning. He, he identifies our, our, what we might call daily needs, and he also invites us to bring before God what I'm going to call our deepest need. Our daily needs and our deepest need. If, if you have a Bible, uh, please feel free to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We are going to be looking at, as we have been this whole time, verses 9 through 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can bring it up on your smartphone. Uh, on the app, we'll also have the text on the screen. And by the way, if you don't have the Bible, a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We have a lot of them. Um, it's kind of what we do. Here. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This is God's word for God's world. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, uh, may this be in increasing measure the prayer of our hearts. And as we pray this, not simply recite it, but as we pray this with our hearts, may you not stop forming us. Uh, we, we invite the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit here this morning, and we ask that you would speak to us, that you would change us, that we would become so, so aware of your love for us through your Son, Jesus, that we would live differently. We love you too. And we pray in your son's name, by your spirit. Amen. So the first petition this morning we're going to look at is an invitation for us to bring before God our daily needs. Give us today our daily bread. Now, notice the contrast between this petition and the previous three. If, if you were here last week, you would remember that what we talked about was the, the first half of, of this prayer, where Jesus, after having addressed God as our Father in heaven, prays, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And 
And if the prayer stopped here, if that was it, if that was the end, we might get the impression that God maybe just isn't all that concerned with our basic needs. Like if the prayer stopped there, we might get the impression that, well, maybe God is only concerned with the quote-unquote super spiritual things, right? His kingdom, his name, his glory. And that he perhaps doesn't care about the needs that I have every day in my life the struggles that I experience every moment. But the prayer doesn't stop there. It turns out that, that God does deeply care about our daily needs. Uh, one, one author who has written a lot on the topic of prayer and Christian spirituality put it this way. He said, try to imagine what our prayer experience would be like if he, that is God, had forbidden us to ask for the little things? What if the only things we were allowed to talk about were the weighty matters, the important things, the profound issues? We would be orphaned in the cosmos, cold and terribly alone. But the opposite is true. He welcomes us with our 1,001 trifles, for they are each important to him. Give us today our daily bread. Notice the humility in this prayer. Notice the humility. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. He, he doesn't say, give us for the rest of our lives our daily bread. Nor, notably, does he say, give us today our daily cake right? It's, it's, which is a great, a great prayer. Uh, but no, he says, give us today our daily bread. Give us today what we need to survive. Food, water, shelter, clothing. We are invited to come before God, the giver of all good things, and to ask him for our daily needs. Now, as I've reflected on this, it's dawned on me, and I've taught on this several times, that I cannot remember the last time I asked God in prayer. Unless I was praying this prayer, I can't remember the last time I, I literally just asked him to give me what I need in order to survive for the rest of the day. I mean, I, you don't have to raise your hand, but have, have you ever asked God, unless you're praying this prayer, simply to just give you what you need to survive this day? I, I, I don't think I actually have. And, and, and what that reveals to me is the, the culture in which I live. That tells me a lot about the culture in which I live. This kind of prayer trains us to be content with the necessities of life. And it's so important because we live in a consumer culture. We live in a culture of more, a culture of excess. Consider some of these statistics. The, according to the World Food Program, 795 million people do not have enough food. That means roughly one out of nine people in the world today go to bed hungry every night. 
that's a foreign experience to my life. Poor nutrition causes nearly half, 45%, nearly half of deaths in children under five years old. That's 3.1 million children each year. And here's the deal about these stats. Global hunger is not a resource problem. There is enough food in this world to feed everyone. It's a distribution problem. Now, now consider some of the stats of the culture and the nation in, in which we live. Americans, as a total population, eat a total of 815 billion calories of food each day. That's 200 billion more than, than we need. And I know I contribute significantly to these stats. Uh, but it's enough food to feed 80 million people. Did you know that the U.S. has about 5% of the world's population and yet consumes 25% of the world's resources? This is the culture in which we live. This is the water in which we swim as a people. And let me just be clear about one thing. I don't mention these things. I don't share these stats in order to make anyone feel guilty. That's not my point at all. In fact, I think a proper response to stats like these is gratitude and generosity. It's not, it's not guilt. And yet, these stats are so important. I share these because the more aware we are of the way that our culture forms us spiritually, the more important we will realize this prayer is the more important we will realize that these words give us today our daily bread truly is. And the more we will realize that the words of Jesus have the power to, to transform us because the culture in which we live is actively trying to form and transform us as well. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus invites us, as children of God, to come before him and to ask him for our daily needs. But he doesn't stop there. Because we are also invited to not just come before God with our daily needs, but our deepest needs as well. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, one of the first questions that comes to mind when I read this, uh, there are several questions. One of them is, okay, so what version are we talking here, right? If, if you have a Bible, then there's a good chance that this verse says something different. If you've grown up in a church tradition, and maybe you haven't, but there's a good chance that you've heard or have recited a different version of this verse. Some versions have debts. Some versions have trespasses. Some versions have sins. And if you're anything like me, you think, okay, yeah, but which one, like, which one's the best? Like, what's the best translation? And, and the reality is, is these three translations all shed different light on this word. Sins is, of course, the most generic translation. And, and most likely, most likely, 
The word debts captures the nuance of this word best because there is, there is a, a financial uh, idea behind this word. There's a financial implication in this word that Jesus has used here. See, in ancient Jewish thought, there were two very common metaphors for sin. If you read the Old Testament, there are two very common metaphors. One idea was that sin is like, is like this weight. It's like this physical weight on your shoulders that just gets heavier and heavier and heavier until eventually it will crush you, unless it's removed. Another very common metaphor in ancient Jewish thought was that sin is like a debt. It's like a debt that you owe and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and will eventually ruin your life unless it's forgiven, unless it's dealt with. And, and Jesus taps into this second metaphor and he invites us to look at the sin in our own lives and to recognize that we all have a debt. Which brings us to the more interesting question, I think, more interesting than which translation is better, and it's this. What does this prayer assume? What does this prayer assume? When, when we pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, what does this prayer assume? Well, for starters, it assumes that we are all in need of God's forgiveness. We are all in need of God's forgiveness, right? You don't ask God to forgive you unless there's something to be forgiven, right? If, if I walked up to you after the service today and said, hey, by the way, I forgive you. <laughs> Wait, what? what? What did I do, right? There, there's an assumption that an offense has been made. A debt has been accrued. And so Jesus, by giving us this prayer, assumes that we are all, as members of the human race, in some sense in need of God's forgiveness. We've all, in some sense, accrued a debt that must be paid. Now, this is not the most popular message, especially in the culture in which we find ourselves today. And, and yet, think about this. Think about this. Imagine living in a world where everyone owned their mistakes. Imagine living in a world where every single person, every single person, if, it was, if they were made aware of it, they were quick to admit when they were wrong. How would this impact relationships, marriages, your work environment, world governments? Like, this would revolutionize the, our way of life as we know it, right? And right at the, the baseline of the gospel is the basic idea that we all, every single one of us, has in some sense walked away that we've in some sense gone our own way, that we've in some sense accrued some sort of debt that we all feel that, that has to be dealt with in some way. And, and Jesus, in offering us this prayer, he says, I know where you need to go. 
I know you need to go to get rid of that debt. Uh, G.K. Chesterton is one of my favorite authors and thinkers. He was this British guy, last century, and uh, so witty. And at one point, early last century, the, the editor-in-chief of the London Times put out this, this word to all of the public intellectuals of the day. And it was an invitation. Basically, what he said to all of the public intellectuals was, hey, I have a question I'd like you to answer. And, and if you submit an essay to me in response to this question, then I will publish it in the London Times. And this was the question. What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? This question went out and all of the brightest and best within England at that time put pen to paper and crafted a number of essays and sent them in. G.K. Chesterton was one of them and he had by far the shortest essay. This is what he wrote. Dear sirs, in response to your question, what's wrong with the world? I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. See, this man knew this prayer. This man was a follower of Jesus. He knew that he had a debt that he could not pay, but, but he also knew where to take it. He also knew the one who cancels debts. He knew not only that, like everyone else, he was in need of God's forgiveness. He knew that God was so eager and so quick to give it to anyone who would come to him with their need, their deepest need. But here's the deal. You can, even, you can be aware of your need for forgiveness. You can feel the weight, and yet there can still be things in your life that keep you from receiving it, that keep you from accepting it. Like if, if I give you a gift and put it on the table, and it's here, I'm, I'm offering this for you. It's possible for you, even though I've offered it, for you to just let it sit there. In order to receive it, you actually have to pick it up. You, you actually have to open it. Otherwise, it's, it's never had its intended effect. It's been offered, but it hasn't been received. And, and God's forgiveness is very similar. There, there are things sometimes in our life that keep us, even though we feel the weight, even though we know where we should take this debt, there are things that keep us from actually receiving God's forgiveness and his grace. Oh, I'll never forget, several years ago, I, I led a community group in, in a, a low-income 55-plus community. And I was by far the youngest person there. Uh, and it was a very eclectic group of folks. We had believers and non-believers. It was racially diverse, socioeconomically diverse. And I showed up every week. We read the Bible, we talked about it, and we prayed. And one particular day, this amazing woman who had the most incredible servant's heart, named Maria, she, she started praying during prayer time. And, uh, and as she was praying, it, it became clear to me that, uh, that she, she was really struggling with something. 
And, and as she was praying, it also became clear to me that, okay, she, she had just recently lost her husband. This, she, there's a weight that she feels. And, and as she continues to pray, the, the emotional temperature rises in her prayer. And then the volume begins to rise. And, and then it becomes clear to me that I don't know, and to this day still don't know what it was, but she felt guilty about something. She had this weight that she was carrying. And literally, she got to a point in the prayer where she just started yelling, punish me, God. Punish me. Over and over and over again, yelling, punish me, God. Punish me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, seminary did not train me for this, <laughs> first of all. Uh, what in the world? Um, and, and so I did the only thing I knew how to do. I just, as she was praying, I just slowly stood up and I walked over to her. And I just put my hand on her shoulder. And eventually she stopped praying. And then I started. And, and I, I just, I said, God, thank you so much for my sister Maria. God, I know that you love her. I know that you love her. And, and it's clear to me that she is struggling with something, that she feels guilty about something. And so I ask right now that you just remind her, whatever this debt is that she feels like she needs to pay, will you please just remind her that because you love her so much, you sent your son Jesus, who came and who died on the cross to pay the debt that not only she owes, but that we all owe because of who you are, Father. Remind her of how loved she is and that she doesn't have to carry this weight, right? And I'm praying and I'm preaching the gospel to her as I'm praying and she's just bawling. She's bawling because she knew she had some sort of debt that needed to be paid, some sort of weight that was crushing her. And she even knew who it was who could properly deal with it. And yet, there was something keeping her from receiving it. There was something keeping her from, from accepting it. And I, I wonder this morning, what, what weight are you carrying? What debt, perhaps, do you feel that, that you owe? And do you know where to take that in order to have it dealt with? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. One last observation on this prayer, and it's this, because not, not only does this prayer assume not only does it assume that we all need God's forgiveness, but it also assumes that there's in some way a direct correlation between our experience of God's forgiveness and our willingness to forgive others. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If there's any bit of the prayer that I could do without it's probably that phrase, right? 
Because what Jesus is saying is we should pray to God and say, God, forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our debts, in the same way that we forgive other people of their sins, that we forgive other people of their debts, of the ways that they've failed us. I'd much rather just get rid of that and just say, God, will you just forgive me? And, and yet there's this correlation, there's a relationship between our experience of God's forgiveness and our willingness to forgive others. Jesus puts it most bluntly right after this prayer. In verses 14 and 15, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, now we need to be careful here because the idea is not that in some way we can earn God's forgiveness by forgiving other people. That's to put the cart before the horse. But rather, there is a relationship here. And the idea and what Jesus cares about for those of us who follow him is that we understand that because we've been forgiven much, we are therefore called to be forgivers. Because when we experience the grace and forgiveness of God, it changes the very motivational structure of our hearts. And then it doesn't make forgiving easy. Forgiveness is never easy, but it does make it possible. It makes it possible. Several years ago, there, uh, a woman entered a church in New York City one Sunday morning. And after the service, she approached the pastor and she said, hey, pastor, I need to talk to you. Listen, I don't, I don't really want anything to do with Christianity. I'm not interested. I, I've never been religious. Like, this isn't my thing. But something happened at work, and I just need to talk to someone about it. Pastor said, okay, what's, what's the story? And she then went on to explain how she recently had been climbing the corporate ladder and doing quite well at her job. And she just landed a promotion. And shortly after this promotion, she found herself working on a project, a very high stakes project. Her direct boss was working with her. And in the midst of this, she made a mistake. And it was a big mistake. It was like, a, I'm probably going to lose my job mistake. And so there she was sitting in her boss's, boss's office with her boss. And her boss says, okay, so explain what happened. And before she could say anything, her boss, who was her supervisor on the project, jumped in and took all the blame. He said, this is really my fault, and, and here's why. And she sat there quiet and stunned. Her boss got a slap on the wrist, and they left the office, and, and she was stunned. She didn't know what to do, and, and she pulled her boss into her office and said, what was that about? She said, what, why did you do that? You, know, you knew that that was my fault. And he said, well, I mean, I, I knew you probably wouldn't survive taking the blame for this. You probably would have been let go, and I, and I, I knew I would. And she said, yeah, I know that. Why did you do this? And he kind of sighed and said, okay, do you really want to know? I'm a Christian. 
uh, I'm a Christian, and I, I believe that, that God sent his son Jesus who took the blame for me, that I owed a debt, and he paid it because of his deep, deep love for me. And so as a follower of Jesus, I am called to do the same. That's why. And so there she was in that church on a Sunday morning talking to this pastor saying, you, you've got to explain this to me. What's going on? You see, there's a correlation between our experience of God's grace and his forgiveness and our willingness to forgive others and to extend his grace to others. This is the logic of the gospel. And so I, I want to end this morning simply with two questions and then prayer. And, and the two questions are this. What do you need? What do you need? This morning, right now, what do you need? M maybe you're in the grip of addiction and you need help. Maybe you, you have never actually come before God and said, God, I need this debt removed. I do believe. Will you forgive me? Right? What, what is it that you need, and will you pray to God about that? The second question is this. Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? It's not an easy question. Forgiveness is never easy, but if if the gospel is true, it's possible. Is there someone in your life who you need to forgive? Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Will you stand with me as we pray this prayer together? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.